we're going to be there back in Acts chapter 17. Uh, we're rejoining Paul and Silas and the brothers um, as they are there in Thessalonica. Uh, this morning, as we come to Acts 17, um, there's going to be a statement made there in about verse 6. Um, and, and the statement of is... They're going to be really upset that Paul and Silas and them, that they've come, and, and that they're upset that they are there sharing the gospel. And there's going to be a statement made that's really powerful, and it says in verse 6, and it says, These men who have turned the world upside down have now come here also. And I'll be honest with you, when I read that, um, really what I wanted to do was make this a message on 10 things that you could do to turn the world upside down. And the reality is, is most likely you probably would have walked away today feeling a lot like I did when I looked at text through that lens, thinking this, I'll never be Paul. I'm nothing like Paul. I mean, Paul, I mean, look, dude, that guy's so awesome. I mean, so the reality is you, you probably would have walked away saying, well, you know, that was a really awesome, like, um, like message about Paul. But the reality is I'm not Paul, so there's not really much applicable to me. So today, I, I'm not trying to be rude, but like for me, I, I'm going to have to like bring the cookies down on the shelf where I can get them from. Right. You with me? Right. I mean, kind of like let's let's actually eat from this. And so what I want you to do today, instead of saying, hey, here's how you can be like Paul. I want you to see who the God who Paul preached, the God who Paul worshipped, the gospel that Paul proclaimed is the same God that you worship. It's in fact the same gospel that you're proclaiming, the same spirit that is at work in you. And so I really want today, my hope and prayer is, is to give you a big view of who God is. That you could walk away saying, listen, if that's who God is, and that Paul's God's my God, and the gospel that I'm sharing on my job site is the same gospel that Paul was proclaiming, then I know there is a power of God at work in this. And so look, I want to step before this idea. God, the one and only who can actually turn the world upside down. Right, that God's actually the only person that can do that. So today I want you to leave empowered by the Holy Spirit, nurtured by the Word of God. Imagine this, right? And so imagine this, the, the Olympics this past year were in Rio, right? And so imagine today that you get a ticket, you board it, and you show up in Rio, and you walk into the stadium and say, hey, listen, I'm here to run the 400, right? And they're like, okay, what do you mean? You're like, well, I, I'm going to run the race, and you know what? If my time's good enough, um, me and you saying we're going to go one-on-one, -on -one, they're like, listen. The Olympics were already coming past. That race is over. So when you hear this today, be remember Paul's words in 2 Timothy 4, 7. I fought the good fight. I have finished what? The race. Paul's race is over. You're still running yours. So what, what happened is, is Hebrews 12 would tell you, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, he would say, listen, look at Paul's race. Look at the way in which Paul ran and let that be an encouragement to you. But look what he says, so Hebrews 12, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders, the sin that entangles us, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. So I want you today to come to this and say, listen, I'm running my own race. Paul is an encouragement to me. Praise God for what he's doing today here in Paul and Silas. But I know I have my own race to run. And I realize that my focus must be on Jesus. So three big ideas I want to throw out at you today. First one is this. Never forget that Christ is enough. Never forget that Christ is enough. Why did I say this? Look at me in the text. Acts 17. 
Acts 17, remember Paul's shown up in Thessalonica. They've gone to the synagogue. The Jewish people are there. They're sharing the gospel with them. And it says that this was Paul's custom. Remember how he shared with the scriptures and explained that it was necessary that Christ would have to suffer, be, literally be crucified on the cross, and then be raised again. And he says, listen, this Jesus that I'm telling you about, this is Isaiah 53. That's him. Right? That's Jesus. And it says in verse 4 that some of them, in fact, were persuaded. They joined Paul and Silas. And also there's many Greeks, right? Those are devout Greeks. And it says not a few of them are the leading women. So there's men and women that are joining. But look what happens, verse 5 of Acts 17. Again, they're there in Thessalonica. The Jews get jealous. And they go, it says some rabble there. Literally, they go into the marketplace and they find some people and they form a mob. They set the city in an uproar. They attack the house of Jason. So Jason is connected in some way to Paul and Silas. Most likely they're lodging there. That's the reason why they're identified with them. They, they're looking, saying, hey, listen, we want Paul and Silas. We're going to bring them out. Why? Look what happens here. It says they couldn't find them, verse 6 of Acts 17. So they dragged Jason and some of the other brothers. So presumably those people that have just heard the gospel and believed are immediately on trial. And I want you to see that Christ is enough for that. They bring them before the city authorities. And this is the statement they make, verse 6. I drew your attention to it as we began the day. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. So how are these guys doing this? Look what it says. He says, hey, listen, Jason's received them, and they're all acting against the decree of Caesar. Here's the actual indictment or the charge being made. They're saying there's another king, Jesus. And the people in the city authorities, they hear these things, and man, they are upset. Why? Because they know that even though they're not actually in Rome, that Rome rules, and they're a Roman providence, and so that means that Rome will come in, and they will bring some swords, or whatever they have to do, and they will kill anyone that comes against Caesar or stands against Rome. And they're saying, hey, listen, that's what they're talking about, this guy named Jesus. And so it says in verse 9, and when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. So what's happening here? They're saying, hey, listen, guys, you guys are going to give a deposit. This is what you're going to guarantee. That Paul and Silas will never come back here and they'll never preach here again. And so they're saying, listen, if you don't, we're going to keep your money and we're going to bring you to count. And this could most likely mean, hey, listen, this could cost them. All right, do you see this? These guys have just come to faith in Jesus. I want you to see that Christ is indeed enough. Because it's costing them financially, immediately. Immediately it's going to call them relationally. This could hinder their jobs. It could hinder their relationships with others. People may not be, want to be associated with these guys. They realize they've already come under the, the eye of the Romans. The mob is, is upset with them. The city's not happy. I mean, I'll, we have to ask the question, is Jesus Enough. Is he actually worth it to the people we're sharing with? Is he enough for Jason and these other brothers and sisters that have become part of the body of Christ? Or do they need something else? Today what we're going to do is, is we're going to look a lot in First and Second Thessalonians. You say, well, why are we doing that? Well, remember again that we're actually there in the place of Thessalonica, right? Modern day Greece. Paul writes... Um, soon after he leaves here, he's going to write a letter. The first letter is the letter to the church at Thessalonica. It's called First Thessalonians in your Bible there in the New Testament. It's around 50 to 51 A.D. And then several months later, a little bit of time passes, he's going to write another letter called Second Thessalonians. He writes to them again another letter. These letters provide us a lot of insight to what's happening, what Paul would have been preaching and teaching while he was there, what he wants to highlight again, and what new teaching he brings to them. So there's a lot of importance that I want us to pull from that. So today we're going to begin there, but I want to throw at you as you begin to think, Christ, never forget that Christ is enough. First one is this. Christ is enough, why? Because He alone can transform people. 
Again, I want you to start to think, when you see this and you see these men that are turning the world upside down, they're sharing just Jesus Christ. It's the same Christ that you're proclaiming. And I want you to realize, get a big picture of how great God is today, so that when you know, when you go back to your job or your family or the place that you exercise or the grocery store or wherever you find yourself around people at the ballpark, whatever, I want you to know that Christ is enough for those people. And I want to show you just some things that only Christ can do. Remember this, Christ alone transforms us. There we go, First Thessalonians. Paul writes this letter. Remember, it's sometime soon after he's left there. Paul writes, and look what he says. Here's God's will for you. Verse 3 of 1 Thessalonians 4. It's your sanctification. The word sanctification literally means to be set apart, to be made holy. Saying, listen, I want you guys to know about how God wants you to live. And look what he does. He's going to deal with some really practical things. I want you to see that Christ is enough. Really practical. Look what he says here. He starts out about sanctification. He says, listen, I want you guys to know about sexual immorality. Here he, he talks to them now. He begins to share with them. Hey, listen, I want you to know how practical this is. That Christ is actually enough for the people you're sharing with to change the way they live. Look what he says to them. That each of one, one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust, right? So the passion of lust is what he's dealing here. Why? He says, because that's how the Gentiles live. Those who don't know God. He says, I want you to know that there's a God who's so great that he can actually change your sexual desires and passions. He can transform heterosexuals that are living sexually more. He can transform homosexuals. That's how great he is. He says, I want you to know this God that you preach is great enough to deliver the people that you're talking and dealing with. I know we live in a culture where gender is fluid. And it's how you feel or how you think. Not based upon what God created you to be. I realize that. I recognize that. But I want you to know that the Christ that you're proclaiming is so great that he can change that. He can set people free. Look further with me. That no one transgresses and wrongs his brother in this matter. Look there, there's just another point being made. He says, listen, do you realize that when you're sinning sexually, you're actually wronging another brother or sister, possibly in Christ, or someone that may come into Christ? Or at least you're hindering the gospel of those people? He says, listen, guys, you're missing it. Because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and Solomon warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives, and look what he says, he closes with a statement, his Holy Spirit to you. Again, so this sanctification is happening. Why? Because it's the Spirit of God in you. The Spirit of God is going to change the desires of people. Not only does Christ transform our purity, though, again, you think about Christ being enough. Christ transforms just our daily work, right? He just transforms who you are. Look further, First Thessalonians 4. He says, listen, guys, I want you, know, you all to know about brotherly love, right? How you love one another. You don't have anybody any need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God. And here's the statement he's after. How do we actually love one another? He says, listen, it's not just simply we talk about loving other people. This is how you practically live it out. Again, I want you to realize how Christ can change people. It's, it says, this, in fact, this is what you guys are doing. Everybody throughout Macedonia has heard it. We urge you to do this more and more. Love one another more and more. How? Look what he says, verse 11. Live quietly. Mind your own affairs. Look what he says there. Work with your hands. As we instructed you. See that statement there? As we instructed you. He says, listen, we talked to you guys about it. Remember when we were there? We talked about some of these things. He said, I'm bringing them back to your attention. So that you may walk, look what he says here, properly before outsiders and be dependent upon no one. He says, listen, Christ is enough that he actually changes and gives you a desire to want to work. He says, why? Because your work is an affirmation to outsiders that you've been changed. That you're not being dependent upon anyone. He says, we ought to be faithful in the way that we work. So I want you to realize the Christ that you proclaim changes everything. 
He changes our daily life, our daily habits further with me. Look what he does here. He says in verse 15 of chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians, See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. And then he says these statements, these three that you, you, you've heard many times most likely. Rejoice always. Rejoice even when someone's trying to do evil to you. He says, I want you to know that Christ is so great that the joy that Christ brings, and you're going to see it in a moment, how great this joy is, should bring joy in the midst of even what you're facing. Further, pray without ceasing, he says. Keep on praying, guys. Keep talking to God. Keep crying out to God. Keep hoping, he's saying. Keep believing that God can do it. Why? Give thanks in all circumstances. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. He says, this is just the way you guys should be living. So we know that Christ is enough, right, to transform their daily life. But Christ is also enough. Why? Because he saves us from the wrath to come. I want you to see how great Christ is today. The Christ that you proclaim is a Christ that can transform people's daily lives, but also transform their eternity. Look what he says here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10, as Paul writes, he says, Listen, we talked to you guys about how you are to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Further, look what he says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, as he closes out the first letter. He says, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So you're saying, Blake, what is wrath? Wrath is God's response to our sin. Wrath is God's holy, righteous, good anger. Remember we talked about it before. He's a good judge. And so he has anger towards sin. He doesn't like it. Why? Because it doesn't reflect upon who he is in his glory. It doesn't reflect the fact of what he's called you and I to be as his image bears. If you don't know it, the Bible says that you, as a human, were made in God's image. So therefore, God desires that you would live and be like him. And so sin mars that. It distorts that. It doesn't glorify God as what He's desiring you to do. And so God, being a good God and a just God, must judge that. And He says, listen, I want you to know you can actually be saved from that judgment. He says His name is Jesus. He delivers you and I from the wrath to come. So let's look at this. One of the clearest descriptions of hell I think that we have in the New Testament is, is right here actually in Second Thessalonians. It says in Second Thessalonians, again, this is a Paul that wrote... Paul writes this letter again to the church where he is today, Acts 17. So this is why we're pulling so much from Thessalon Thess the book of Thessalonians, because they're in the city of Thessalonica. Many of these things Paul would have preached and taught to them and shared with them while he was there. Remember that? He said he went in on three Sabbaths. So we know he was there at least three weeks, maybe longer, sharing and teaching. So he'd had time to share and teach these things. He says, listen, guys, I want you to know that Jesus is going to come back. He says in verse 8 of Second Thessalonians chapter 1. It's going to be in flaming fire, and he's going to inflict vengeance on those. And here's the statements. Those who do not know God, and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. So you're starting to think, Blake, what's so significant about me sharing the gospel with people? He says, those that don't know God, those that don't obey this gospel, they haven't repented of their sins and believed on Christ. He said, I want you to know What's coming? And here, here's, again, this is maybe one of the clearest descriptions we have of hell in the New Testament. He says they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction. And you're, you're asking maybe, what's, what's that look like, right? Make that practical. Look what he does. He says this eternal destruction that's going to come on those that have rejected Jesus Christ, those that are experiencing God's wrath, His anger, His judgment of their sin. He says it's... Away from the presence of the Lord. Think about that for a moment. James 1 and 21 would say, Every good and perfect gift is what? From above, from God. 
Psalm 16 would say that in God's presence is fullness of joy. That in God's presence there's no sin, there's no death, there's peace forevermore. There's finally the fullness. 1 John 4, 8 says God is love, so there's ultimately the fullness of God's love. He says, listen, you want to know what hell is? It's the separation from God's presence of everything good. No matter how distorted, how rebellious, how wicked the, the nation, the world, the globe, the earth that you live on, you're still receiving part of God's goodness. There is much to be here of God's goodness and His glory. And He says, I want you to know that hell is away from the presence of God and everything that is good. And further look what He says, and from the glory of His might. And we can look through many passages, Old Testament, New Testament, to see what is so great about the glory of His might. We might even look at an example of 1 Kings 19 where Elijah went in and spent time. Elijah was ready to kill himself. He was ready for his life to be over. And he spends just a little time with God. God feeds him and it says for 40 days and 40 nights he went without eating or drinking. He just takes off, boom, supernaturally. That God's glory is so great and His power is so great. And He, he reveals Himself there in 1 Kings 19 to Elijah and everything about his life is transformed. Just in a moment of being in God's presence. Can you imagine that for all eternity? He says, listen, that's what I want you guys to realize about how great Christ is. So Christ is enough, right? Why? Because He can transform people. Christ is enough because He saves you and I from the wrath to come. Thirdly, Christ is enough. Why? Because He brings us into His eternal kingdom. Just a quick statement here. 1 Thessalonians 2.12 He says, listen, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into His own kingdom and glory. Remember, Paul would have been here again in Thessalonica preaching and teaching this. These people would have been hearing it. Is this gospel great enough to keep them faithful? When all the authorities show up and say, listen, bring those guys out. Because you're going to read there in about verse 10 of Acts 17 here, that literally they're going to, it's as if they've hidden the guys. They're taking this on themselves. They're saying this gospel is so great. The God that they proclaim is so great. He's, he's greater than no matter what happens to me. Come what may. And so he says, listen, guys, I want you to understand about this kingdom and his glory that's coming. He writes in 1 Thessalonians 4, and he says to them, the Lord himself, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, he says he will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel and the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. So here we have the dead in Christ. They're going to rise up. All right. So Jesus is coming in the clouds. There's this picture of, boom, the dead in Christ, people that you love that are in Christ. That's significant. They're in Christ. The people that you love and care about, they're being raised up literally from the graves, from the sea, from the nations. Red, yellow, black and white. They're precious in His sight. They're called by His name. He says they're being raised up. I want you to see how great this God is that you love, that you worship, that you follow, and that you proclaim to people. Then we who are alive, look at what He says, if you're still living when Christ returns, He says you'll be caught up. That word caught up indicates that word if you've heard the word rapture. That's what it's speaking of, this Boom, instantaneously being raised up. Can you imagine right now if Christ returned? It says those that are here in this building, again, who are in Christ, it says we will literally just rise up in the air. Wow. It says we're caught up together with them in the clouds. Again, with them. Isn't that beautiful? Thinking about people you love, that you care about, that are already gone on to be with the Lord in Christ. They're rising up. You're rising up. We're with the Lord and with them. It says forever and ever. Man, so listen, what I want to tell you is, is, is stop trying to add-ons, on, add right? 
Stop trying to just like add on extra gimmicks to Jesus. Like, oh, if, if you'll do this, then Jesus will pay all your bills. And, and if you do this, then you'll feel really good and this will happen. And, and if you try these next three steps, then, then Jesus is going to do this in your relationships. And man, it, I mean, we look as cheesy as that cat right there. If you call in the next 30 seconds, we're going to double your order. You want a sham wow? We'll give you a 10 sham wows. Wow, wow. Come on. We've done that to Jesus. We try to manipulate people and twist them and like trying to like shape up Jesus where people would want him. Just preach the gospel. If that's not enough, there's nothing else that will be. The gospel's enough. He's the one that can save you from the wrath to come. He can deliver your life presently from the struggles that you have. He can bring you into his eternal kingdom. I would say that Jesus is enough. Never forget that, church. Christ is enough. Secondly, today. As you think about this, how is this God going to turn the world upside down and use you to do it? I would tell you, never forget that God is, in fact, the means and the end of salvation. That God is the means and the end. Why, why do I say that? Well, listen, just really quickly. In Acts 16, before we ended up in Thessalonica, Paul was in Philippi, if you remember that. And he went to jail, and it was there in jail when the earthquake happened. And he began to preach the gospel of the jailer. And the jailer and his household, they believed on Jesus, verse 31. And then verse 32, they share it with all of his family. His family's all saved. They're sharing the gospel. Acts 17, we, we encountered Paul and the, the brothers as they come to Thessalonica. And they guess what they're doing? They went to the synagogue, and they're reasoning with them from the Scriptures. He's proclaiming the Christ. It says some of them are persuaded. They believe. Guess what? He gets kicked out of Thessalonica. Guess where he goes next? Verse 10 and 11 says that he heads off now to Berea. Guess what he does in Berea? He goes into a synagogue and begins to explain and examine. They, they share the scriptures with them and people believe. Guess where Paul's going to go next? He's going to get kicked out of Berea. Guess where he's going to go after that? He's going to take off toward a place called Athens. Pretty important place. You may have heard of it. And guess what he's going to do there? He's going to go in the synagogue. He's going to proclaim Jesus Christ. And guess what else he does? He goes to the marketplace and he just finds people wherever they are, whoever happens to be there, the text says. And he shares with them in his daily life wherever he goes. Paul, and says in verse 18 of Acts 17, was just preaching Jesus in the resurrection. This is Paul's life. That's what I want to share with you. It's wherever you go, wherever God sends you, that you are proclaiming that God is the power to save the truth of Jesus Christ. This is the progression we're seeing of here in Acts 17. Is the same progression that we see what Paul shares with us in Romans 10. When Paul says in Romans 10, we kind of go backwards. He says in verse 15 of Romans 10, How are they to preach unless they are sent? You see that there? They're sent. How are they to preach, right? How is someone... He said, how are they to hear? See that there? Talking about hearing. Well, guess what? God's the one that sent them. Remember the Macedonian call in Acts, Acts 16? The vision of God appeared and said, go to Macedonia. I want you to preach the gospel to them. That's where Paul started. He's just following God. God's sending Paul. God's raised him up Silas up. God's sending you wherever he's sending you to. And look what you're to do. We're just to proclaim the gospel. You're to preach. You're to share. You're to teach. The power of God in you sharing the gospel. And people hear. Well, that's exactly what happens here in Acts 17. It says they receive the word. You see that? They receive the word with all eagerness. They're examining the scriptures. That's clear that they're hearing, right? They're, they're hearing the gospel. This is, it says, the word of God that was proclaimed by Paul. So Paul's just doing what the scriptures say. But it says, how can they hear? How are they to believe, right? And whom they've not heard. How are they to believe? And how can they call? You see that statement there? How can they call on the one they've not, they've not heard, they've not believed on? So look what he says here. Hey, listen, they show up in Thessalonica. Paul begins. Um, now he travels to Berea and he just shares the gospel. 
He tells them the good news about Jesus Christ. And it says these people began to examine the Scriptures and say, is this really true? Is what you're saying really true? And that's what I want to tell you. Listen, just because I'm up here sharing it, don't at all. Acts 17, 11, look at this. They examined the Scriptures daily to see if these things were true. Now, what they were doing, look in the Old Testament, saying, is the things he's saying about Jesus, does it really match up? This is what they said about the Messiah, the Savior, in the Old Testament. But it's, that's what you ought to be doing. Everyday life, everything that you hear, everything that you see, you ought to be comparing it to what the Scriptures say. And it says it's there. Look what happens here. Just a beautiful statement. We might pass over it. Verse 12 of Acts 17. Paul's just shared the gospel. They're examining the Scriptures. Look what it says there. Many of them, therefore, believed. Presumably, they're obviously calling upon Christ for salvation. What's Paul done? He just shared the gospel. I think sometimes we make it so complicated about what, I don't know what to do. I'm like, just share the gospel. Share how Christ, what your life like was before you came to Christ. Share how Christ brought you to, brought you to Himself, how He's changed and transformed your life, and how, how it looks different. Just share your story and talk to them about what Christ alone can do, what He has done for you. Paul is there just sharing the Scriptures with them, the good news of Jesus Christ. So let's look at this. God's the means, but He's also the end. Look what he writes to them in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 first. Let's, let's pray for a moment. This is a challenging, weighty text. Father, in the name of Christ, I do pray, God, now that you would bring continual clarity to my lips, to my heart, to my mind. Father, I pray now that you would give us the ability, just as we've studied there in Acts 17, 11, that they search the Scriptures to see if these things were true. Father, I pray now that you give my brothers and my sisters in Christ the ability of clarity of mind to search the Scriptures to see what do the word, what's the Word of God say. Father, help us, illuminate us. You're, you said you've given us your Holy Spirit that would guide and lead us into all truth. And so, Father, I just ask that your Spirit would just lead us now. God, continually through this, give us a greater picture of who you are and how great your salvation is and how you are at work. And I pray it would give us peace, it would give us courage, it would give us conviction, it would give us hope, that it would spur us on, that it would grant us boldness in Christ. Father, I ask this in the name of Christ, for His glory alone. Amen. So Paul again writes to the church at Thessalonica, and he says to them in 2, Timoth- 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. He says, but we ought always to give thanks to God for you. Look what he says here, this, this statement right here, everything kind of builds upon this. Beloved by the Lord. He says, if you want to know what's happening behind salvation, again, we're talking about this, how does salvation work, what all's unfolding in it, what's taking place, what's so great about it? He says, I want you to realize first and foremost that it is the love of God for you. It's God's love for you. Right, John 3.16, share it with me. For God so, come on, for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God loved the world. He says, listen, don't forget, guys, that you are loved by God. And he says, listen, because God loves you guys, listen to what he says here. This is some challenging stuff. He says, God chose you. God chose you what? He says, as the first fruits to be saved. I told you it's challenging, okay? Stay with me. He says, God chose you guys to be saved. You say, well, how does this look? How does this play out? He says, I want you to know how I recognize this, guys. First, it was your sanctification. The very things that he's been talking about in the previous letter, about how our lives begin to reflect God, our sexual purity, about how the way we work at our jobs and with our hands, how we live quietly. 
He says, further with me, he says, listen, I want you guys to know that your life is reflecting God, how you're rejoicing always, you're praying continually, you're giving thanks no matter what you're facing. He says, I want you to know that I see that, I'm recognizing that, there's a work of God in you guys. He says, sanctification by the Spirit, and he says this statement here. He says, I want you to know why I recognize that God had chose you guys to be saved. He says, there's belief in the truth. Now, if you're here and you're starting to say, Blake, I, I'm struggling. You're saying God's choosing people to save. That means he doesn't save, choose to save others. Well, let, let the text here again, just for a moment. I intentionally put verse 10 up there so you can hear this all in context. To see the, the beauty and the magnitude of God in salvation, his sovereignty, his greatness, his desire to save. But man's response, what's known as our free will. Look with me if you would. Look what he says. See this statement. He chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Look what he just said. Join with me back here in verse 10 of the same chapter, 2 Thessalonians. He's talking about the Antichrist coming at the end. He says, listen, I want you guys to know that there's going to become upon the world a wicked deception. And he says, it's for all those who are perishing. Why? Why are they perishing? Look what he says here. This is, this is crucial. Because they refuse to what? Love the truth and so be saved. He said, Blake, I don't, I don't, it doesn't seem fair. If God chooses some, then I mean, what's happening there? He says, listen, I want you to understand that those that aren't saved, it's because, not because God's some big cotton-headed ninny-muggins and He's really mean up in heaven. He actually loves everyone. But the truth is, people refuse the gospel. Refusing it to be saved. He says, this is the work of God in salvation. Absolutely, it's God's choosing, God's plan. This is God's desire from the, before the foundation of the earth. It says that Christ was slain before the foundation of the earth. That was how guaranteed it was. But he says, I want you to know that in the midst of God's choosing and His plan of salvation, that there was a work of the Spirit, but there's also belief in the truth. And he says, everyone that's not a part of this just refuses it. I don't want that. I don't need Christ. Sin's not really that big a deal. I want you to see God's means and His end of salvation. He's bringing this. Look what He says. Look what He says. This is beautiful here again. This, when you see all this, you say, Blake, this makes my head hurt. This is really big. Well, guess what? He gets really practical again. The very next verse is just the beauty of the Word of God. To this, look what He says. He called you. How? How did He call them? Through the Gospel. I want to know... From this past week, who did you share the gospel with? They had an opportunity to respond and call to God. You. Who did you share the gospel with this past week? If we affirm this and say, amen, and Christ is great, and Christ alone can save, and, and He saves us from the wrath to come, and it's eternal kingdom with God, and there's no more death, no more pain. I want to know, He says, this He called you through the gospel. They just didn't come about it on their own. This is why this urges us to go to Haiti. This urges us to go to Honduras, to go to Oklahoma, to go to the nations, to go to the world. This urges us. Why? Because it's through the gospel that people hear, believe, and are saved. So I want to ask you, who did you share the gospel with this week that they could call upon the name of the Lord? This ought to be a recurring pattern in our lives. And I want to show you just because you think, well, Blake, I'm not a preacher. I want to show you this. This past week, Emily and I ended up in a restaurant. We weren't sure really why. We just kind of, that's where we ended up at. And before we knew it, there was people everywhere. Now, some of them we knew, but many, we didn't. 
I walked up, and guess what? Somebody's got a big strap, a brace around their leg and crutches. And I know kind of what that's like. I don't know what they're dealing with, but I'm kind of not trying to be rude. But I say, hey, listen, what happened with your knee? And guess what? I was just walking one day, and literally I heard these pops, and now the doctor's telling me I need an MRI, and it looks like there's ligaments torn and all of that. And I began to share my journey. But then I ultimately, why? Because I want to point them to Jesus. Do you know Christ? Could I at least pray for you? I turn around. Emily's like, hey, listen, I need the, I need the card. We need to go. There's people here we love, we care about. They're, they're going through some hard stuff. Let's, let's go get their meal. And we got somebody out in the vehicle that's struggling with salvation. Guess what happens? Em goes out, talks with them, prays with them. She comes back in. I talk and pray. You're, some of you are wondering, where are the boys? My mom was there, praise the Lord, wondering where we were. Guess what? Our food's getting cold. I want you to know this Jesus is greater than your food getting cold. Another gentleman walked past down there. Emily's helping. Sometimes she's my eyes. I don't know about some of you men, but I'm just, sometimes I'm just blind, right? All I'm thinking about is what's on my plate. Like, I can't wait to eat this. She's like, did you see so-and-so? I was like, what? I want to eat, woman. I didn't say woman. I didn't. That was disrespectful. Disrespectful. I know better than that. I know better than that. I'm afraid of her. Afraid of some of you all. You're scowled. You growled. I heard it. There's a gentleman there. I went to school with, hadn't seen in a long while. Guess what? Opportunity just to walk up. And guess what the intro is? Men's basketball on Monday nights. We just play ball together. It's an open door, right? It's the first step. Do you see that? You start to think, why do we do these things? Why do these things happen? It's a first step. It's an entryway into sharing about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, if God wants me to, I'll, I'll bust out, sit up by the table with Grandma and Grandpa and everybody there, and I'll, I'll bust out the gospel. If that's what God says in the midst of the restaurant. Yes, He's that great. But oftentimes, it's just the first step. It's an open door. Hey, listen, we're, we're playing. love for you to come and come be a part. I'm not saying that. This is to my own home. I just want you to realize how practical and real this is. Don't use the excuse, I'm not a preacher, I'm not a teacher. God wants to use you in the restaurant today. This gospel is so great, it's greater than your food getting cold. It's greater than anything else. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God calls people through the gospel. And it's our job to live it and share it daily wherever you are. It's the beauty of the gospel, guys. You'd say, Blake, um, man, you know what? The gospel is great and it's awesome, but you don't realize how weak I am. You're right. We don't realize how weak we are. And we also don't realize how great and strong God is. So if you're struggling with some sin in your life, you've made a mess of things as a Christian, you've got to perk your ears up right here because this is some really good stuff. This is like main course, like... Woo! Feed me. Look what he says. First Thessalonians, again, chapter 5, verse 23. He says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Look at that. Sanctified completely. Forever, I mean, like, transformed. He says, this is God. May God do this. Look what he says. May your whole spirit, may your soul, may your body, and this is, this is one of those statements right here going to blow you away, be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you think about that for a moment? That you, in Christ, will stand before God, whole spirit, body, soul, blameless. And you hear that and the weight of it, unless you're reading ahead, you say, there's no way that could ever be me. If you're in Christ, listen to this, and maybe you're apart from Christ, you ought to hear and perk up too because this is the beauty of the gospel. 
He who calls you is faithful. Again, that calling. And He will what? He will do it. That's how great the Christ you're proclaiming to people is. He's the Christ that not only transforms them here and now, He's so great that He can keep them saved. He can keep them holy, pure, and blameless. He has declared what Christ has done for them has been transferred to them. This is the God of the Gospel. If you hear it and you think there's no way, then you and I must begin to say, how great must this God be? How lavish must His love that He would love someone like me after all I've done, all I've been through? Yes! That's the faithfulness of God to you in Christ. That you are a holy, blameless soul, body, everything you've done, everybody you've been with. It's forgiven in Christ. That's the greatness of this gospel. Do you sense the urgency? Do you know how many of your friends need to hear that truth? How desperately your family needs to hear this? How much you need it and I need it? It's the period of the gospel. Third, I know time's come, so we'll move fast. Never forget the fight. The fight is based upon the fact that Christ is enough. You've seen how great Christ is. You've seen that God's at work in the means. He is the means and the end of salvation. That's how great and mighty He is and that He's at work in salvation. That propels you and I to get back in the ring and say, let's go. That's what Paul says in 2 Timothy 4, 7. I have fought the what? The good fight. Now again, you've seen it. You heard it. So I'm going to move really quickly here. But... Again, he shows up in Thessalonica in chapter uh, verse 1 of Acts 17. He's in there with the Jews. Guess what? He shares the gospel and they kick him out. They get a mob. They run him out of there. He's gone. Guess what? It says in verse 10, he shows up now in a place called Berea. And guess what he does there? He goes back into another synagogue. He just got kicked out of that. Guess what happens there? They come in there. They get agitated. They stir up the crowds. They run him out of there too. This God is so great that Paul has boldness to believe it's possible. That's what he says. Look what he says. For you yourselves, First Thessalonians chapter 2, you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you, look what he says, was not in vain. It was not in vain. That what you're doing is not in vain. I believe that Chuck, this was one of your favorite passages back in the days of youth ministry, Galatians 6, 9. It says, don't become weary in doing good for the proper time. We're going to what? Reap a harvest, aren't we? If we don't give up. I remember Chuck just sharing that passage back in the days of youth ministry. He says, listen, that's what he's saying. This is not in vain. Don't become weary in sharing the gospel if people haven't believed. If you haven't seen the great things that Paul has, your call is just to be faithful. But though we had already suffered, he says, and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you guys know, he says, remember what happened to us there? We were put in jail. We were beat. We had, look what he says here. This is beautiful. We had boldness in what? In our God. The boldness is not from you. It's in God. Boldness in our God. To do what? The very thing that I'm trying to urge you on today to do. To declare the gospel of God even in the midst of much conflict. No matter what you're facing, the gospel is that great. It's that powerful. God gives you boldness to labor on, to fight. I don't know about you, but today, um, have you ever had a moment, maybe like as whether a parent or grandparent, or maybe as a kid, you ever got lost? Anybody ever had that moment in your life? You raise your hand. Somebody, you're getting tired. Come on, raise your hands. You might do both, right? Father Abraham, let's do it, maybe. Um, I, I don't know if you guys remember Kmart and their blue light what? Blue light specials. Yeah, I was in Kmart. And uh, one of my things is, um, as a kid, and, and, and I don't know if any of you were that, I love to hide where? In the clothes. Some of you did too. Yes, I love to hide there as long as I could. And mom or granny or whoever would 
Blake, come on, Blake, where are you? I'm serious this time, I'll wear you out, right? I mean, those statements, right? And I'll be like, I'm going to wait a little longer, going to wait a little longer, right? Uh, sometimes you feel that long arm of the law reach in there and rip you out of that thing. Um, anyway, I remember that it was, I was with Kmart, they were doing some blue light specials, I was with my grandmother. And uh, something like that day, they had Little Caesars there. If you remember, I went to Little Caesars. She didn't give me Little Caesars, so I was mad and I was pouting. I still do that, Emily. She can verify. I still powder. Um, and so I'm hiding in the clothes rack, and she calls and calls, and, and I don't come. And I could tell her voice was changing, like she was upset but also scared. But I just thought, I'm just going to stay. And I remember finally the voice got quiet because obviously I... By this point now, knowing as a parent, I mean, I know what you do. You start shaking every instance. You're looking. I mean, you're just like, man, you're gone. And I come out, and my granny wasn't there. I'll never forget that feeling of terrifying, like, granny. And I start screaming, granny, 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 granny. Start running, looking for some of you today. You've lost sight of how great God is. And so today, I'm just trying to urge you to come back and say, God, God, Lord, Jesus. Look how great you are. Just say, God, I've lost my way. I haven't gotten discouraged about the fight. I've not been faithful sharing the gospel. But, Lord, I see how great it is. Father, I just want to be faithful. Why? Because there's much conflict. I don't know if you know it, but last year, 2016, in Russia, this was a law they decided in Russia. It was against sharing the faith in your home, online, or anywhere except for a recognized church building. You can share the gospel out openly. You can't share it in the home. It's kind of a little bit familiar. We're not there yet, but you can't share it in your job. You can't share it in the school. You better be careful sharing it out openly in the public. You kind of see where it's headed? Paul and these guys were bold. People in Russia still are being bold. Why? Because it's like those words of Fran Crosby as our musicians make their way. These are the words from 1869 as he writes these words. Rescue the perishing. Care for the dying. Snatch them in pity from sin in the grave. Weep over the erring one. Lift up the fallen. Tell them of Jesus, the mighty to save. Rescue the perishing. Care for the dying. Jesus is merciful. Jesus will save. Today, does God need to reignite your fire to rescue the perishing? A big picture of who God is. You begin to realize, man, they really are perishing. The Word of God says they're going to be separated from Him and His presence for all eternity. But that's not God's desire. He desires, 2 Peter 3, 9 says that none should perish. That all should come to repentance. God desires that you would be saved. And therefore He sent forth His Son. That if you would put your faith and trust in Him, that by the sacrifice of Christ, you can be declared in His presence blameless. Your spirit, your soul, your body, all of you. Not just part of you, not the good parts of you, all of you. Blameless before God. Why? Because on the cross, Christ wasn't dying for His sin. He was dying for yours. He was paying your payment for sin. The payment that you you could never pay. You could never own up to. On the cross, Christ was paying that for you. Today, would you put your faith and trust in Him? Would you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ today and be saved? The truth of the Gospel. Christ is enough, guys. Let's go share this truth. Let's go live this gospel. Go share your story on your job this week. Pray, God, open the door. God, provide the opportunity. God, give me boldness in you. Let's share the gospel. Let's pray believing that God can change people. Let's pray that God give me a desire to realize how great salvation is, Lord. 
Let's cry out to Him. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I just... God, I want a greater boldness in my life. Lord, times I'm afraid. Times I'm, I'm terrified. Especially when I see people I used to know from my past. God, let me remember what Jesus has done for me. Let me realize what He's still doing for me. Thank You that You're faithful, God, that You will do it. You will keep us blameless before You. God, help us today. Open our eyes to realize how great salvation is. That people are going to be separated eternally from the presence of God and the goodness of His glory. God, I pray that would become real today. I pray that would weigh on us, God. It would hurt when we think about our family and friends, people at school that we go to school with, Lord. People we know from the ballpark or our friends on Facebook. God, I pray for just a, a, a burden from You about their souls and where they'll spend eternity. God, give us boldness. Provide opportunities to share the gospel, Lord. And I pray today through the preaching of the gospel that we'll realize that the sharing of the gospel is worth it, that it's, it's necessary. God, I pray that we could return back next week knowing on our hearts and minds the people that we've shared the gospel with, that we've at least given them the opportunity to call upon God. I pray this would happen in the power of the name of Jesus, Lord.